Our good friend William Kroll said, you guys are self-depreciating. Is it? No, it's deprecating, doesn't it? <laughs> We're definitely depreciating, Dana. <laughs> We're depreciating just sitting here. So it's, uh... <laughs> Welcome to Damn It, Jim podcast. A fun and fascinating look at Star Trek, the original series. Your two hosts for this show, Dana Smith, that's me, and my good friend, Dan Calzaretta. Good evening, Dan. Dana, 2024. They said it would never happen. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, who are they? Your, your relatives said you'd never make it this long? Or who, who are they? No, back in 2000, the world was going to end, you know? Yeah, the whole Y2K thing? Yeah, they adjusted it again, and it was 2001 because the Aztec calendar was off and whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, this could be the year. Who knows? Who knows? It doesn't matter, really. You know? Yeah. Nothing I can do about it. The world ends. <laughs> Hopefully this is a good year. Yeah, whatever. Uh... <laughs> I mean, I can remember when I was a kid, right? Thinking, oh, yeah. Man, the year 2000 is so far away. I, you know, I don't know if I'm going to be around in the year 2000. And now it's 2024. I got it's gravy at this point, I think. <laughs> remember when calculators first came out? Oh, God, yeah. Remember how expensive they were? Oh, yeah. But if somebody had one, you spend half the time figuring out how old you'd be, like, in different years. You know, okay, <laughs> take 2005 and subtract your birth date, you know? And so you'd do that. It's like, oh, man, I'd be that old. Oh, man, how old would I be in 2020? You know, it's just you kept going, and it, it seemed impossible to be that old. And yet here we are. <laughs> well, when I was in high school and I had a calculator, I spent more time making it say hello, like you would type in certain numbers and turn it upside down and be hello or boobies, that kind of stuff. That's how I spent my time with the calculator, Dana. <laughs> I didn't do well in math. Yeah, and for those who are interested, it's 8008135 and turn it upside down. <laughs> so, Dana, I do have a question for you for 2024. Sure. The ramble jar. I think we need to make some decisions about how we're going to use this money. Yeah, well, you know, uh, I've mentioned a road trip to uh, Ticonderoga, New York, where they have the Star Trek exhibit. Hey, I got an idea that just popped in my head, Dana. Let's order some of that popcorn. Oh, Garrett's popcorn? Yeah. You order a tub, I'll order a tub. We'll sit here and we'll just eat it during one of the podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> wow. You're really going to push our listeners' loyalty, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, well, I'll, I'll give that some thought. And uh, we're still considering what we're going to do once we run out of uh, the original series episodes. So uh, yeah, we'll, we'll figure something out. So we get lots of good suggestions and people are offering suggestions and the idea that we continue going on, not what we would expect, which is, <laughs> you know, thank God the show will be over. So. <laughs> I know every time someone suggests a new show, I'm shocked. That they want to continue to hear <laughs> us two goobers talk about it. Well, we we just appeal to a certain type of person, Dan. So. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even want to know who that is. <laughs> Speaking of our loyal listeners, yeah. uh, let's do some listener comments. Yeah, let's do it. We got some emails. Mike Flynn sent us an email suggesting we look into doing the cult favorite, The Prisoner, when uh, we're done with the original series. It's a freaky show. I would be interested in looking into that. Yeah. Uh, in regards to the Paradise Syndrome, Anthony Seclair said, Happy New Year's, guys. 
Then he said, uh, this episode was certainly no paradise for the viewers, but your hilarious podcast brilliantly skewered one of my least favorite in the series. It should be renamed Brain and Brain. (laughs) So, So he says, where was the writer's brain? He says, you could drive a Mack truck through the plot holes in this one. He says, special credit goes to Dr. McCoy. This is the man who could complete connecting Spock's brain when the brain enhancer wore off, who operated on Mr. Spock's father despite a power failure on the ship and the ship being under attack. And him smoking during the surgery. Remember that? <laughs> yeah. And he, he even healed a Horta, but he says he couldn't save Mariani from a few internal injuries. <laughs> exactly. Thank you. Totally agree. And he says, I suspect his real reticence may have been due to Starfleet not accepting the tribe's medical insurance. (laughs) (laughs) Damn insurance companies. (laughs) Boy, I've been fighting that that battle myself lately. So, yeah, I wouldn't even Uh, take one of them as a sponsor, Dana. Well, an insurance company. Yeah, maybe I would. I don't know. Man, they've got money. Okay, let's take one. (laughs) I know I've been giving them a lot. So. Yeah, our uh, old friend Lou in Canada also had comments about the Paradise Syndrome. Hmm. Uh, (laughs) He points out some of the inaccuracies of the episode, as well as inaccuracies in our comments, and argues that Kirk never impregnated any other women, though he he, uh, admits that that Kirk obviously slept with a few, just fewer than everyone thinks. So obviously Lou hasn't been following along on on your (laughs) theory about how many women Kirk has produced offspring from. Yeah, I think it's a lot. (laughs) And I agree with you. Maybe in Canada, they like, you know, edit out that stuff. On Facebook, we heard from uh, our friend Jesse the Sledgehammer. He wished us happy holidays. Oh, that was nice. Our good friend William Kroll said, you guys are self-depreciating. Is it? No, it's deprecating, isn't it? (laughs) We're definitely depreciating, Dana. (laughs) We're depreciating just sitting here. So it's uh, (laughs) a... Sorry. Uh, Sorry, Bill. He says, you guys are self-deprecating, but I've tried to listen to a, a few Star Trek podcasts other than yours, and you are by far the best of them. Wow. Thank you. William Kroll just moved to the top of our favorite fans list. Yeah, you're right up there. And speaking of favorite fans, we got a message from Olivia as well. She said, another episode I haven't seen and don't know if I want to watch it or not. Olivia, just a side note, we're not trying to get you to not watch the shows. We were all better if we watched these and learned a little bit from them. She said, where are all the episodes like City on the Edge of Forever? She says, once again, you guys had me laughing through the whole thing. And what's with all McCoy's awful lines in this season so far? What happened to his snappy one-liners and sarcastic quips? Anyway, wonderful episode, guys. I can't wait for y'all to get to Plato's Children. Very nice. Thank you very much, Olivia. Gary Hill wrote probably the most blatant example of the white savior trope in Star Trek. Uh, And then finally, uh, from Facebook, also Scott Martin Gavin said, uh, this was an interesting episode. And then he commented that Spock wasn't quite ready for the command of the Enterprise as he didn't listen to Scotty. Also, he pointed out several of the writing flaws in the script. He had kind of a long message there about uh, going into detail, uh, but uh, that was the gist of it. Okay. So, uh, Dan, you said we had some YouTube comments as well. Yeah, the most we've ever had, Dana, which is exciting. And our YouTube subscription count keeps going up, so that's great. Um, But here are some of the comments. 
Olaf Olafson wrote again. <laughs> I guess he wasn't offended when I was laughing last week at his name. Actually, it's a pretty freaking awesome name. Anyway, Olaf says about the Paradise Syndrome, could have been so much better. Salish, I assume, became medicine chief again. He doesn't know how to use the obelisk, so they're screwed. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> and then he says, I swear, Salish said, behold a god who breeds, and thought Kirk... <laughs> And thought, Kirk's at it again. <laughs> Great podcast episode because there always seems to be something I hadn't thought of and lighthearted. Thanks for that, Olaf. Those are awesome comments. Next from YouTube, NJ Esperantist writes about the Paradise Syndrome. The Enterprise could have left a landing party on the planet with a shuttlecraft while the Enterprise sailed off to deflect the meteor. I love listening to your lighthearted commentary on these episodes. Keep them coming. And if you want another short series to review, why not tackle all 14 episodes of Firefly? Dana, I think that's a great idea. I love Firefly. Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure how we would make fun of it because it's so good, but we could try. <laughs> sure, we'd find something. Yeah. And it's only 14 episodes. Yeah. No, that's good. That I'd say that one's on the list for sure, huh, Dana? Yeah. I, I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, I hadn't either. Uh, so thanks, NJ Esperantist. Maria Kelly writes, back in 2004, I mentioned Spock's brain in a college term paper. It got a B. <laughs> <laughs> she should rewrite it with some of our comments. I bet you she'd get an A. <laughs> she'd get a freaking PhD. <laughs> I'd love to hear what that paper is about. So Maria, send us another message and let us know, or send us the paper. I'd love to read it. Yeah, no, that would be awesome. It's probably over our heads anyways. <laughs> <laughs> like most things. GA Philly fan commented on our Encore episode of Obsession, one of my favorite episodes. How about a shout out to the composers of the show? For me, the music really adds tension to this episode in particular. Looking forward to the next episode of the podcast. Finally, J.D. Lewis writes, fun fact. In season one, when resident Star Trek model designer and builder Wa Chang designed and built the Romulan Bird of Prey for the episode Balance of Terror, to save money in lieu of cash payment, Roddenberry promised Chang that he would get him a salaried membership in the Model Builders Union. When Chang was denied membership, Roddenberry neglected to pay Chang. In an act of reprisal, Chang took an axe to the warship and smashed the model to bits so they couldn't use the ship in the series again. Wow. When the Enterprise Incident episode was filmed, they used the recently built Klingon ship from Elan of Troyes, and they added a hastily written explanation to cover the change of ships, and the rest is television history. That's fascinating, Dana. JD has sent us some of these fun facts before. I'm glad that they're doing this for us. Yeah, thanks a lot. We like to learn. We don't always retain, but we like to learn. So. <laughs> Wow. With that, Dana, that's all the comments that I have. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for writing. And don't forget, we do have a phone number. Dan, what's that phone number? It is 509-676-6298. Now, on to And the Children Shall Lead. So we see Kirk, Spock, and McCoy beam down to the planet Triacus as the Starnes Exploration Party had sent a distress signal. And when they arrive, they see everyone there is dead. Rocks are smoldering in the background. Dan, at first I thought it might be the alien from Obsession. Oh, yeah. And then a, a man rises up from behind a rock with a phaser in hand and a tricorder slung over his shoulder. The man looks like he 
might fire at the landing party. Kirk goes to him, recognizes him, he calls him Starnes, and the man looks crazed and falls down dead. McCoy comes and checks the guy and says, he's dead, Captain. God, finally, Dana. You know, it's too bad, having watched the whole episode and knowing what's to come, that the guy didn't shoot the landing party right there and just end it. <laughs> yeah, I think he could have uh, gone on a killing spree on that whole planet and really helped us out a lot. So. <laughs> Especially those damn kids, man. <laughs> yeah, that's where I was going. It's like, go to the cave, go to the cave. <laughs> so Kirk comments that Starnes acted like he didn't know who Kirk was. They check a woman that's dead, and uh, she has something in her mouth. <laughs> Dana, look, I am not taking the bait on that one either. I haven't prints after this. Wait for Dan's comment. <laughs> it's a new year, Dana. I've turned a, I've turned a leaf. <laughs> McCoy pulls this uh, little cylinder from her mouth and says it's Sioladin. Well, first Kirk pulls it out and he smells it. And then he gives it to McCoy. And he smells it. I mean, in season one, Dana, we talked about the whole personal protective equipment. They have not learned that lesson. No, they haven't. So, And what was it called again? I'm sorry. It was like Sialadin. Oh, yeah. That's the, I think, the scientific term for Kool-Aid. And this is where Jim Jones got the idea. <laughs> wow. <laughs> there weren't that many survivors, Dana. So the chances are that any of them are listening to this episode is pretty low. <laughs> Yeah, they had relatives, you know. So, <laughs> Crap, that's right. <laughs> so they come to the conclusion that the ex exploration party killed themselves. And just as they check uh, Starn's tricorder, they hear children's voices. And then these kids come run out of a cave and they stop by the landing party. But they don't even look at the dead bodies. And they were gross, those bodies, right? I mean, they had all these, like, modeling and bruises, and it, they weren't, like, a pretty sight. So the tallest boy introduces himself as Tommy Starnes, then introduces the other kids, Mary, Steve, Ray, and Don. Well, then the kids start doing Ring Around the Rosie around Kirk, and Spock and McCoy look on, somewhat bewildered, and Kirk stares off as the children play games oblivious to the death that's all around them. Yeah, so I have a suggestion for another setting on the phaser dana okay we've got kill right stun uh what warm coffee draw a body outline uh, heat up rocks yeah heat up rocks yeah how about obliterate annoying children <laughs> <laughs> i mean if, if they, look, there'd be no witnesses on the planet right <laughs> could you see kirk spock and mccoy pull their phasers and just <laughs> Mow the children down. <laughs> it's like, it's like, okay, three to beam up. <laughs> Get back there and, you know, I don't know. Sulu's like, well, what, what happened down there, Captain? Yeah. Not, nothing. Nothing really. Yeah, they were all dead. Yeah. All of them. <laughs> yeah, a few of them said they were alive, but you know how they are. Yeah. <laughs> So later, we see the Graves and a few crewmen in red shirts. I had high hopes there. Yeah. The kids want to play, so they run off. Kirk asks McCoy, what's wrong with the children? And uh, they show no fear, no signs of grief. And McCoy says it's due to traumatic shock. And Kirk seems unwilling to believe this. And McCoy says, I'm unwilling to believe you're an actor. <laughs> <laughs> But just seemed to me like everything he was doing was like 
overemphasized yeah throughout this whole show yeah so spock comments that humans do have an amazing capacity for believing what they choose and excluding that which is painful maybe that's why we have followers dan that's <laughs> <laughs> McCoy also says that the kids may be suffering from lacunar amnesia. And I had no idea what this was, obviously, Dana. So I looked it up. It's a type of memory loss due to physical damage to the brain, like a stroke or head injury. And after seeing this episode and some of the others that we've talked about this season, I wish I had lacunar amnesia. <laughs> I think the writer had it. So Kirk still doesn't believe it, and McCoy cautions him against questioning the children as it may cause them permanent damage. Like, not as much damage as my fist is going to cause across their faces. (laughs) (laughs) So one of the kids runs over and knocks down the UFP sign, which I believe stands for United Federation of Planets. And it's a crappy looking flag. I mean... Yeah, it's terrible. (laughs) Terrible, right? I mean, the sweatshot people... (laughs) <laughs> they need to really up their game on the flag department. <laughs> I don't think they've ever created a flag before. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, I think you're so right. That it just, yeah, looked like something my did in third grade. So yeah, it, it's my my impression was they cut it out of felt. Remember how I used to do that, and then you'd cut other things out of felt and glue it to the other felt. It looked like a really bad felt project. Yeah, the boy apologizes to Kirk, then runs off again. Kirk tells them it's time to go up to the Enterprise, and they seem unhappy. Kirk insists they beam up with Dr. McCoy. So Kirk and Spock are left standing by the grave. Spock hypothesizes that the expedition was wiped out by a bacteria or something that caused mass depression and a state of suicidal anxiety. Sounds like what some of our listeners may be uh, facing right now. (laughs) Kirk wonders why the children would be immune, and Spock picks up a reading on the tricorder and says, there's a disturbance coming from the cave. Ah, It's always a cave, Dana. So Kirk and Spock go into the cave, and Kirk asks if it's a life form, and Spock says, definitely not humanoid. So then Kirk gets a chill, and then he says he's getting a feeling of anxiety in the cave. Kirk starts going further and further down the anxiety hole. uh... (laughs) He did. He's like kind of like freaking out. And yeah. then he kind of like darts out of the cave. Outside of the cave, Spock follows him out and says, are you all right, Captain? And Kirk's like, yes, I'm fine. I'm fine. Just and he's like still like clutching himself. He says, just some sympathetic vibration with what happened here. I tell you, I didn't have any sympathy for his vibrating anxiety or whatever the hell he was having. It was bad. Yeah, yeah. And and not like bad because he was ill. Yeah, it was bad because he couldn't act. Uh, <laughs> which is funny because it was just like all this overacting all of a sudden. So Right. In some episodes, he's like fantastic. You know, it's yeah. not like he, Shatner's bad all the time. So then he says, I want to check out those tapes from Professor Starn's tricorder, and I'm going to question those children. And he says, oh, on the ship, we see uh, Nurse Chapel holding up some cards and says, each card is a different flavor. You pick your favorite flavor and the computer will mix your favorite combinations. And the kids all grab at the cards like little wild animals. And then they run off to the replicators to get their treats. And that was a weird room they were in, too. I'd never seen that room before. Yeah, I I was thinking it was like a rec room or then I was thinking it was a cafeteria. And then I read something online about the Arboretum. Yeah. 
So next we see Kirk and McCoy getting off of a turbo lift. McCoy says the tests show no evidence of tensions due to lying. He says they behave as though nothing had gone wrong. I have no answers, Jim. But I think what we need to do is call Dr. Mabinga and have him slap the <laughs> crap out of each one. That'll get him talking. Actually, that'll get him to shut up because they won't stop talking. Damn, kids. That'll, that'll get some tears out of them. <laughs> We'll break loose that lacular amnesia, or whatever the hell I called it earlier, before I started drinking. <laughs> Kirk says they're going to find out what's going on, and McCoy suggests they go to Starbase, but Kirk is adamant that they stay and find out what happened on the planet. McCoy agrees to have Kirk question the kids. He says, just be careful. Kirk enters the rec room, or whatever room that was, as Chapel is trying to engage with the children. Kirk comes and sits down with the kids, and he acts all jolly. It's like, just total wacko. Kirk, all of a sudden, is like, well, how's it going in here, kids? <laughs> he was just, he was Kirky the Clown. Yeah. It is way over the top. So Kirk says, this is better than Triacus, right? And one of the kids says, uh, that dirty old planet. Another says, what's good about that place? Kirk says, I don't think your parents like it very much either. Says they're all dead. <laughs> <laughs> he starts doing Sam Kinison on him. They're buried down the planet. Ah. <laughs> Oh, God, that would be awesome. Oh, my God. He just comes into the arboretum with like a microphone, you know, the light shines on him. <laughs> hey, you over there. What's your dad's name? He doesn't have one because he's dead. <laughs> now, look, I, I do have to say, Dana, I am a parent. I have two kids. They're grown now and they've left the house, thank God. But I um, would, you know, would never treat them how I'm advocating Kirk <laughs> to treat these kids. And I wouldn't advocate that for any parent to treat their kids that way, right? But this is fiction. And in fiction, we get to make stuff up. And these kids annoyed the freaking shit out of me. <laughs> and something needs to be done about it. That's all I have to say. Yeah, well, it only gets better, Dan. So. <laughs> So uh, Tommy and Stevie both say their parents like the planet. And Don says, parents like stupid things. Chapel says, parents like children. And you're pretty fucking stupid. <laughs> <laughs> See, this is Dana. They need, they, <laughs> these kids need to be exposed to the harsh light of reality. Right. <laughs> and a few Mabingas. Yeah, so. <laughs> and a couple of Kinnisons thrown in <laughs> for good measure. <laughs> so Kirk ushers the kids off to their quarters, then calls security and tells them to keep a guard on the children that need to be constantly watched. Wow, that's a first, Dana. I mean, how many times <laughs> has he just let these people wander the ship? In the children's room, they're all turning around in a circle with their hands joined in the center and they're chanting, Hail, hail, fire and snow. Call the angel, we will go. Far away, or to sea. Friendly angel, come to me. We see this angel that they were calling. It's like a green figure of a large man shimmers into view. Yeah. Dan, I thought he was like one of the ghosts from the Christmas Carol. <laughs> 
this guy says, you have done very well, my friends. You have done what must be done. Just brilliant. Uh, <laughs> and Dana, by the way, your reading of that line was like a billion times better than, than this guy. So he says, you have come aboard the Enterprise. Now our destination is a Federation settlement. Marcus 12 has millions of people on it. Nearly a million will join us as our friends. The rest will be our enemies. Together with our friends who will join us, we will defeat our enemies. <sighs> Dana, I'm, I think that this writer got paid by the word or something because yeah. just it went on. And on. Yeah, it's a million friends. Marcus will make us invisible. Yeah, no one tells you. Go, yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Even, even that reading, Dana, was still better than that. <laughs> so he says, to accomplish this great mission, we must first control the Enterprise. To control the ship, we must first control the crew. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just exasperated, Dan. It's just... <laughs> Sam Kinison when you really need him. <laughs> yeah. He says, you know how to do that. That is your next task. And as you believe, so shall you do. So shall you do. And he just keeps repeating himself. <laughs> and he's like, so shall you do. So shall you do. So shall you do. I think he was trying to write a song. <laughs> And we go to the bridge, Kirk turns around, and Tommy is like right there. Like right there. That was a little freaky. Yeah, and Tommy has to be taken to Marcus 12. And Kirk says they'll go to a star base. And Tommy says he has relatives on Marcus 12. And Kirk says, I don't give a shit. <laughs> I don't give a shit. You got a twin on Marcus 12. We're going to start. <laughs> Kirk says, Marcus 12 is not on their patrol pattern. Have we ever heard that before, that they got some patrol area? No. Okay. Oh, just checking. So, Dan, it's like they pulled a writer off the street who knew nothing about Star Trek, and each episode, they just make new shit up. Yeah. It's so bad, Dana. So Kirk tells Spock to join him in his quarters. Tommy asks if he can stay on the bridge, and Kirk agrees and tells, tells Leslie to keep an eye on Tommy. Tommy steers around the bridge and goes and stands between Sulu and Chekhov. He does the thing with his fist, and Sulu suddenly looks dazed. Then we see Sulu reach for the navigation controls. The little girl comes up on the bridge. I don't think she was with any security guard. No, you're right, Dana. She was just by herself. So Tommy does this fist thing again by checkoff. We see the ship pull away from the planet as Tommy points to the screen and says, what is that? And we see the planet there, and Sulu says, it's Triacus. And uh, the girl steps up next to Tommy and says, he sees the planet. And Tommy says, he thinks he sees it. Thanks for talking down to us viewers, writer. And, uh... <laughs> and thanks for, you know, thinking we wouldn't believe that Sulu and Chekhov wouldn't hear exactly what you're saying because you're like <laughs> one foot from their head. So when the kids look back at the screen, they see space. Uhura looks up at the screen. She sees the stars and she says, Mr. Sulu, we're out of orbit. And Tommy makes the fist thing again, and Uhura looks like a little dazed. And then uh, we see that she is seeing Triacus <laughs> this episode. <laughs> We're going to make it, Dana. We're going to make it through this episode. <laughs> so next we see one of the other kids come into engineering, 
isn't somebody supposed to be watching these kids? Was Leslie the only one? <laughs> yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. Once again, they, they started out with the right idea. Put the guards on the kids. So this kid does the fist thing, and the two guys that are in engineering kind of seem affected. A moment later, Scotty enters engineering and notices they're not in orbit around the planet. What do you mean we haven't changed course? Look at your bridge control monitor. We're still in orbit, sir. Have you gone completely blind? That's not orbiting position. So Scotty grabs the guy that's at the controls and throws him aside, and he goes to fix their position. The other man in engineering comes over and tries to stop Scotty. Scotty fights him off. Then the first guy gets up and hits Scotty from behind, knocking him out. Of course. And we see the little kid just kind of watching. In Kirk's quarters, Kirk, Spock, and McCoy are watching the tapes of Professor Starnes. Starnes is saying, I'm being influenced to do things that do not make sense. I even went so far as to call Starfleet Command to request a spaceship to be used to transport us. It was only when I couldn't tell them what I wanted to transport that I began to realize that my mind was being directed. I decided to send a dispatch to Starfleet warning them, God forgive us, must destroy ourselves, alien upon us, the enemy from within, the enemy, and that's where it stops. Spock says the dispatch was never sent. Whatever overwhelmed them must have done so with incredible speed. Otherwise, the professor would have provided details of the experience. He was an excellent scientist and tireless in his pursuit of truth. It, it seemed like a weird comment for Spock. Tireless in our efforts to be done with this freaking episode. <laughs> Kirk says that could be what destroyed him, the truth. Because <laughs> you can't handle the truth. <laughs> wow, Dana, this, this is so bad. It is just so bad. So Spock says, possible, Captain. Evil does seek to maintain power by suppressing the truth. Oh, I like that line. I think that was the only good line in the episode. And then McCoy says, or by misleading the innocent. And Kirk says, misleading the innocent. I wonder. And McCoy says, do you mean the children may be involved? Kirk says, yes. And then he asks Spock about the previous civilization. And, and Spock says, according to the legend, Trachis was the seat of a band of marauders who okay, made constant. Before you go on this whole freaking <laughs> legend thing, let's just cut let's just cut to the chase. He goes on for like minutes. Of, <laughs> or what seems like it about the freaking legend. And then there's some truth in legend and blah 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 blah. And yeah. maybe, yeah, this and that. And they're like, oh my God, shut the fuck. Uh, <laughs> not you i meant spock and so they go on more about legends mccoy warns kirk that there is danger and not tapping into the normal grief in the children kirk says he understands but he must think of safety of the safety and security of the enterprise and so mccoy leaves looking a little bit concerned spock says the professor said he was being influenced by an unseen force he recognized it and tried to fight it so dana hold, hold on a second if he's so concerned about the safety of the enterprise why not call security and round all these little bastards up yeah <sighs> <laughs> It'd be a lot shorter show. So yeah, it would have been great. Yeah. So Kirk calls to security and says the team on the planet needs to be relieved. So then they go to the transporter room and there's two security guards standing on the transporter pads. And he tells them that they'll be relieved in an hour. So they beam them out and Kirk orders the other team on the planet to be beamed up. The transporter guy tries but can't beam them up. Spock takes over and says, I'm 
unable to lock onto the proper coordinates because it appears we are no longer orbiting Triacus. Kirk says, then the two men we beam down are dead. And Spock says, no shit. It's uh, <laughs> usually what happens when you get beamed out into the vastness of space. <laughs> I just have a question, Dana. Can I, can I ask you this question about the transporter? Yeah, yeah. First off, it's the easiest piece of equipment to operate on the Enterprise. It's like a toaster. Put the bread in, <laughs> press the thing down, no problem. And yet, the transporter doesn't have like a little alarm that says, warning, you're about to transport these people into the vastness of freaking space. Yeah, you would think that it would have some kind of cautionary thing like that, you know, some some safeguard. Kirk calls up to the bridge and tells Sulu he's off course, and Sulu says, no, we're orbiting Triacus. And Kirk and Spock take off to go to the bridge. On the bridge, we see the kids in a circle chanting again. Kirk and Spock come on the bridge and watch, somewhat stunned. Then the quote-unquote angel that they called appears, and everyone is shocked. The angel says, friends, we have reached a moment of crisis. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> the script isn't getting any better. <laughs> the, the, enemy, the enemy have discovered our operation. <laughs> Jesus. But they are too late. They no longer control the ship. We do. We shall prevail. This guy's a regular Newt Rockney. Uh, <laughs> He deserved a freaking Emmy for this episode. <laughs> well, he deserves an enema. Uh... <laughs> the writer. Well, maybe the writer, this is the result of the enema, is this episode. <laughs> so he says, go back to your stations, maintain controls. If resistant mounts call upon their beast, their beast will serve us well. <laughs> the fear in each one of them is the beast which will consume him. Wait, what? What? The, the, what the beast yeah i think we say beast a few more times so. and, and then he says remember how it was on triacus if they resist so shall it be on the enterprise if you need me call and i will appear so dana it, yes <laughs> i'm trying to make sense of this which is impossible right because it doesn't make any sense yeah so he seems to be indicating that the children killed the parents. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know that Spock says they did a whole Jim Jones kind of thing down there, but but I think they were involved. Well, the kids drove them to it. Well, yeah. I mean, even without this monster, the kids would be driving the parents to kill themselves. <laughs> Can you imagine being trapped on a planet with those? <laughs> <laughs> I would take that. What, what the hell was that stuff that, he t- that they took again? Oh, Slyalodin or whatever. They <laughs> whatever the hell are like, give me, give me a double dose of that. I wanna <laughs> yeah. Make sure there's no, no coming back yeah. from this. <laughs> oh, man. So Tommy tells the other kids to go to their station and tells Mary to stay with him. Kirk goes to Sulu and orders him to ignore what he sees on the screen and set course for Starbase 4. Tommy does the fist thing again and Sulu sees knives and swords on the screen. And Sulu's just like terrified. So Kirk goes to her and says, call Starbase 4 and tell them we're bringing children who may be dead. (laughs) <laughs> by the time we get there <laughs> who most likely will be yeah. yeah uhura says yes and she sees herself in a mirror on her console when was there a mirror on the console dan <laughs> <laughs> 
Never. There, never. There's never been a mirror on the council. I mean, come on. Well, she sees herself as old and ugly, and she freaks out. Kirk tries to help her, and he orders Spock to send the message. He goes back to Sulu and says, I told you to change course, and Sulu pushes him away and says, if you touch the controls, we'll be destroyed. Kirk turns around, and Spock says, why are we bothering Starfleet? The bridge is under complete control. Kirk says, look around you. And Spock turns to the console, and Tommy does the fist pump again. Oh, I want to fist pump <laughs> Tommy so bad. <laughs> <laughs> Spock tries to reach the controls, but appears to have been stopped. He turns back to Kirk and says, I cannot obey your order. So Kirk goes to Leslie and says, take Sulu to his quarters. Tommy does the fist thing, and all <laughs> Leslie is hearing is garbled words. I think if you play it backwards, it says, I am Satan, or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly it. <laughs> Back by Uhura's station, we see Spock is trying to understand, and he he's got his fingers pressed against his forehead like he's thinking. Actually, he was like, oh, "I'm getting an, I'm getting a really bad <laughs> headache from this episode. I can't. Yeah. I can, why did I agree to sign on for the third season? Yeah, they can't pay me enough for this. Shit. Yeah, that's a, <laughs> so, so Kirk tries to shake Leslie, but Leslie looks like he's a zombie. Spock watches. Then Kirk goes towards Tommy, and Tommy pumps his fists. Kirk suddenly looks like he's going to pee his pants. <laughs> <laughs> he, he does. His, like, knees go together, and his, his hands go over his crotch. Like, yeah. he's, like, just like a little kid's going to pee his pants. Well, maybe that's, you know, Tommy's a little kid. He's thinking, okay, what's the worst thing? What would Kirk's beast be? And it would obviously be eliminating urine and fecal <laughs> matter in his pants. On the bridge. On the bridge. That's his beast. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's true. That's one of my uh, beasts at work. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I was afraid I'm going to pee my pants. <laughs> Especially if you have coffee and a bran muffin before you leave. For work. <laughs> yeah. Then actually, that's everybody else's beast at work. It's a <laughs> oh my God. What did they need for dinner last night? Do we have to worry about this? <laughs> Don't trouble him. It's his beast. It's back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just let him stay in his office today. Don't call him. Don't go in there. Yeah, so Spock goes to goes to Kirk and says, Captain, we must get off the bridge. And Kirk says, I'm losing command. I'm losing the enterprise. I'm losing control of my bladder <laughs> and my colon and i don't have depends or north shore adults <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't even planned dana and it still yeah. came up <laughs> spock takes him by the arm and pulls him towards the turbo lift in the turbo lift kirk is saying i've lost command the ship is sailing on i'm lost and spock goes to grab him and kirk like seizes him and like puts his hand on spock's neck and spock says jim and Kirk seems to suddenly regain his composure. He pulls back and says, I've got command. And Spock says, if only you had command of your acting ability. <laughs> <laughs> so bad, Dana. So the next thing we see is them exiting the turbo lift. And Spock asks, where to? And Kirk says, auxiliary command, my Vulcan friend. And then we see auxiliary command with Scotty and the two other engineers. Kirk and Spock enter. Kirk tells Scotty to override the bridge navigation system and put them on course for Starbase 4. Scotty says, These are very sensitive instruments. I will not have you upset their delicate balance. We would all be lost, forever lost. And we see one of the children there doing the fist thing. Kirk tries to explain to Scotty, but Scotty goes, Go away, I will kill you. 
<laughs> and Kirk tries to get the control panel and the engineer pushes him back. Everyone attacks Kirk. Uh, the little boy continues doing the fist thing. Kirk and Spock break free and exit into the hallway. For some reason, nobody wanted to follow them. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> Spock checks Kirk and Kirk says he's okay. His beast is gone. And Spock says, Captain, as long as the children are present, there is danger. They are carriers. Kirk says the children are the ones who are being misled. And Spock says they are followers. Without followers, evil cannot spread. He says, Captain, the 430 men and women board the Enterprise and the ship itself are endangered by these children. Kirk says, They don't understand the evil that they're doing. Perhaps that is true. But the evil that is within them is spreading fast. And unless we can find a way to remove it, we'll have to kill them. Finally, the one good idea that's come up in this show. You know, there, there are some people, Dana, who are going to say, oh, children can't be evil. You know, they're pure. They're children. You know, the people who say that never taught middle school. All right. I taught middle school. So Tommy shows up in the hallway with Chekhov and two security guards. Chekhov tells Kirk that he and Spock are under arrest by orders of Starfleet. Kirk says, when did you get this order? Chekhov insists they go to, to the detention center, and Kirk tries to reason with him and tells him it's a false order. Chekhov pulls his phaser and points it at him, saying, do not force me to kill you. I will if I have to. Please kill him. Please. And everybody else on the ship. Yeah, so. <laughs> So Kirk continues to argue as Tommy pumps his fist. <sighs> so old now. <laughs> That's really getting you, Dana. The fist <laughs> Spock knocks the phaser off Chekhov's hand and they battle with the guards. Spock does the Vulcan nerve pinch on one of the guards. And then he picks up the phaser and says, that's enough. And Tommy watches surprised that Spock and Kirk have won. My w one thought was, why didn't Spock just turn and fire at Tommy? Yeah. I mean, he doesn't have to kill him if people are not into that. You know, just stun him. <laughs> <laughs> Just make coffee out of him, yeah. <laughs> so Tommy runs off. On the bridge, Tommy is in the captain's chair. Mary is standing close to Sulu. Tommy looks quite happy. We see Kirk under the bridge. Uhura is still crying and hiding her face in her hands. Kirk goes to Tommy and says, the Enterprise will not be taking us to Marcus 12. We will not be landing there. I didn't know they could land the ship on a planet. <laughs> yeah, they cannot. Yeah, and see, it's a, another writer who never paid attention to Star Trek. Tommy says, the crew will take us. The crew believes. Kirk turns Tommy in the chair and Kirk says, the crew does not understand. Once they do, they won't take you to Marcus. Tommy insists they're going to Marcus to follow their friend. Kirk says, your friend? Where is that stowaway? Where is your friend? They say he will come if you call him. And Kirk says, your leader is afraid. What's he afraid of? Mary says, he's not afraid of anyone. Kirk says, he's afraid to be seen. And when the crew sees and hears him, they'll understand that he is not their friend and they won't follow him because this is written like a third grader would speak. <laughs> <laughs> and like every other scene, Dana, it goes on and on. He could have said it in one sentence. Do you remember when you were in school? And you had to write 500 words for like an essay or something. And you just kept like writing shit. <laughs> I think that's what this person was doing. Just writing to get to a certain word count. I mean, I think Kirk paid him or Shatner paid him to you know, give him more dialogue or something. So, so uh, Kirk demands that they show him himself and then he has Spock 
play the recording of the kids chanting. When the chanting starts, the other children show up on the bridge. So the old guy shows up again and he says, who has summoned me? Kirk says, I have Gorgon. Dan, did anybody call him Gorgon before? No, no. (laughs) (laughs) So suddenly they're on a first name basis. Kirk goes on, says, my beast is gone. He says it was lost in the light of reality. (laughs) (laughs) Kirk says, I command again. I ordered you here. And Gorgon, since uh, Kirk called him that, I'm going to. Sure. Says uh, that he commands here and his followers are strong, faithful, and obedient. He says, we take what is ours wherever we go. Oh, okay. Hold on. Before you continue with this whole freaking speech. Warning, listeners. This one goes on for a while. Okay, Dana, continue. Yeah, I'm going to cut to the chase here pretty quick. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I wish the, uh, you know, the producers would have cut to the chase as well, but they didn't. So Gorgon says, Then you know I must win, Captain. Not if we join together to fight you. For- you will be destroyed. I would ask you to join me, but you were gentle, and that is a grave weakness. We are also very strong. Ah, but your strength is canceled by your gentleness. You are full of goodness. Such as you cannot be changed. You are like the parents. You must be eliminated. Who wrote this crap? <laughs> 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 so Kirk turns back to the children and says he has pictures of them on Triacus. And Gorgon says he forbids it. They start showing the images. The images show the kids playing and being with their parents. Everyone looks happy. The children slowly start smiling. The video goes on, and then the image changes to all the dead parents. <laughs> That's like shock therapy, <laughs> <Yeah>. man. <laughs> The kids look shocked. Gorgon says, they would not help us. They would not transport us. Should have asked me, I'd transport you. Just <laughs> <laughs> so we the, now we see the kids are sad. Some are actually crying. Spock says, Tommy's father would have destroyed you, but he recognized you too late. And Gorgon says, you are also too late. The kind ones always are. Dan, I just can't help but roll my eyes. <laughs> So uh, Kirk says, not this time, and says, you can't hide from them. They see you as you are. They know that you, what you are. Even the children learn. The children are all crying because they even realize what bad writing this is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just a child actor, but I don't think I'm ever going to work again after this. <laughs> the Mary goes to Kirk, and he picks her up and holds her, and he says, look at him. Without you, he is nothing. And the image of Gorgon looks like it's kind of deteriorating. Kind of melting or getting big sores on it. Yeah, his face has got like some sores looking. And then Gorgon says, I command you, you will be swept aside. And he, then he just keeps getting worse looking. And like he's, yeah, like his face is decaying. And Gorgon says, death to you all, death to you all, death to you all. And he fades away. Thank fucking God. <laughs> <laughs> We see Sulu looking at the screen and the knives slash swords disappear. Uhura checks her face and she's smiling, realizing that she is still beautiful. McCoy comes on the bridge and says, they're crying, Jim. I don't know how it happened, but it's good to see. So Kurt tells him it's all all right. And McCoy says, yes, it's all right. We can help them now. And Sulu says, Marcus 12, dead ahead. And Kirk orders to set course for Starbase 12. And Dan, that's how this piece of perfection ends. (laughs) (laughs) No words, Dana. No words.
So Dana, you have some information about some of the actors in this show. Yeah, Dan, uh, Craig Huxley, who played Tommy, he shows up twice in Star Trek, the original series. I believe he was Kirk's nephew who was dead on uh, Operation Annihilate. Yeah, if they just would have used that plot line and kept him dead in this episode, <laughs> things would have been a lot better for us, Dana. So much better. He also had roles in Adam-12, The Flying Nun, and Bewitched. In one of his two appearances on Bewitched, he played the son of a character played by James Doohan. Wow, that's weird. Huxley became a studio musician and as an L.A. studio session musician and electronic music composer working under the name Craig Huxley, he created the Blaster Beam, a massive stringed instrument responsible for the weird tonalities of V'ger, Bass Blast, and Jerry Goldmiss score for Star Trek The Motion Picture. So Dana, this episode really did end his acting career, didn't it? I, I think uh, he had music to fall back on, so lucky for him. Yeah, lucky for him. So if uh, the little girl that played Mary looked familiar, that was Pamela Ferdin. She shows up in like every TV show of the day. Uh, she was in Sigmund and the Sea Monster, Lassie. She showed up in The Odd Couple. She was the voice of Lucy in, in several of the Charlie Brown TV specials. Oh, really? She also appeared on The Monkees, The Flying Nun, and appeared in movies, The Beguiled. And she was also in The Reluctant Astronaut. Oh, God, I love that movie, Dana. And you'll love this, Dan. She was going to play the part of Reagan in The Exorcist, but the producers went with Linda Blair, who had a similar look as her, as she was not as well known. She's still alive today, 64 years old, about your age. Wait a second. I'm not 64. <laughs> might as well be. I mean, yeah, might as well. Once you get to a certain age, you're almost dead anyway. So. <laughs> and she's the head of the Los Angeles Animal Defense League. Actually, Dana, all these kids are still alive. Wow, that's fascinating. We could have a reunion, Dana. Oh, wouldn't that be awesome? They could do the whole chant. Oh, my God, that would be great. <laughs> I don't know, Dan. I don't know if I can live through that. So, <laughs> <laughs> so Dan, do you have uh, some important notes for us? Yeah, I want to talk about Melvin Belli, who was the Gorgon. So he was cast after his son in real life, Caesar, was cast as the kid Steve. Now, this was Caesar's only acting gig ever in his entire life, probably because he was in this episode and no one would hire him again. <laughs> but Melvin Belli, he was one of the most famous lawyers of the time. In fact, they called him the king of torts. He defended Jack Ruby when he wow. was, yes, when he was tried for murder of Lee Harvey Oswald. He was part of history in that sense, Dana. That's amazing, Dan. Yeah, when he died, it gets better, okay? <laughs> so Caesar went on to become a personal injury lawyer in San Francisco. Go figure. Still alive. Law practice is still open. We have to be very careful, meaning I have to be very careful what I say here because he might sue us if I'm not careful, okay? So when Melvin Belli died, there was a falling out in the family with the ex-wife and the new wife who was only married to him 11 days before he died. And apparently Melvin once called his son evil, well probably watched the episode and decided that's probably true. <laughs> there was a whole family fight about the estate and everything else. And who knows how it ended. I didn't really care enough to read that. Wow. Weird, huh? Just very weird. That's bizarre. Apparently, Walter Koenig was really upset that they cast this guy. He was not an actor. He was a freaking lawyer, right? Yeah. He was really upset that they didn't cast an actor, a real actor in that role. Yeah. And so were we after watching this. 
Well, I think they probably, you know, did a casting call for a real actor and all of them read the script. And they're like, yeah, we're not doing this. <laughs> yeah, these are my lines. <laughs> shall we move on to uh, shall we move on to themes and dilemmas? Yeah, let's do that. So uh, do you have a uh, theme or dilemma you want to discuss? Uh, the Gorgon says something to the effect of that evil is always stronger than good. So my question is, is it necessary to be evil to be strong? No. Okay, dilemma answered. How about you, Dana? <laughs> well, I think uh, like one of the themes is that without followers, evil cannot spread. You know, it's it's true of so many things. Look at you know Charles Manson and the Nazis in World War II. You know, and then the other uh, thing is you got to cry to get over trauma. Well, then I'm going to start crying as soon as we're done with this because this show really traumatized me. <laughs> I, I would say the best way to cure my trauma from watching this show would be as if, if we could really see those kids just get beat with a rubber hose. I mean, <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> I'm not in real life, you know? Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. I mean, they need to beat the writer with a real rubber hose or maybe a rubber hose spiked with nails or something and not have it be acting. <laughs> yeah. I'd be all for that. Uh, <laughs> if he's alive today, I'd be all for that. To, to... Yeah. Let's, Hey, let's get uh, the Caesar Belli to, track this guy down and let's sue him <laughs> yeah. okay dan do you want to move on to the best and worst of this episode yeah do you even have a best dana i struggled yeah right well let's have number one scotty trying to take back auxiliary control god that was mine that was mine too <laughs> i mean you didn't have much to grab from here you know what i mean <laughs> do you have another one dan I, you know, I would like to say the ending of the show, but we've used that like several times, you know, with bad episodes. So instead, I'm going to say the dead parents. They just couldn't take those damn kids anymore, Dana. That was the best <laughs> part. I mean, for them, that was really good that they off themselves without having, except for the one guy, they didn't have to speak one line in this episode, just play dead. Yeah, because it would have hurt their careers more if they did. So. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so do you want to go for that other best one or you want to move to the worst? Dan, I thought you would have had this. Uh, Kirk beams two security officers into space. Oh, dang. Yeah, that I I was overwhelmed with all the bad in the show. I couldn't even remember that. <laughs> OK, let's move on to the worst. I This could take another 45 minutes. Uh, so. <laughs> you want to go first, Dan? The premise of the show, the aimless story, the bad script. This episode is definitely in my top five of all time bad episodes. How about a worst part for you, Dana? Uh, the children. <laughs> yes. Yeah. They're annoying. From us, Dana, it brought out our desire to want to beat them silly. And that's just not us. Do you have another uh, worst part for us, Dan? Melvin Belli. He may have been a famous attorney, but he is a horrible actor. Uh, it's funny. I have Gorgon as well. So apparently uh, Roddenberry had the had them add echo to his voice and deepen his voice through uh mechanical means to make him seem somewhat more sinister because he said the readings were so bad that uh he thought you know they wanted to recast the guy but at that point they couldn't apparently because no other actor would take the job i'm convinced that's what it was how about a worst part for you dana well i want to bring this up uh the the booth website included this episode in their list of the worst of trek the reviewer is also harsh on William Shatner's acting, which he sarcastically describes as being renowned and imitated the world over. And then he described Kirk's breakdown in the turbo lift and he concludes there's no denying it. This is 100% grade A pure Shatner here. We have now reached 
Shat Nirvana. (laughs) (laughs) And he says the Shat goes through his entire range of grotesque, buffoonish facial expressions until Spock finally moves towards him, prompting Kirk to, to wildly grab him by the throat. Yeah. We've called out the Shat Fests in the past, right? Where they've just been over the top. Maybe we should have had a shadow meter. You know, they would go from like zero to 10. I think there are some other episodes where Shatner had smaller scenes that would have been higher on the shadow meter. But this episode, I would say as a whole, was really high up on the shadow meter. Yeah. You know, again, we've commented when we thought he's done fabulous job. There's been times where I've said, I don't think another actor could have pulled off what he did in some of these scenes. Yeah. But I don't know. In season three, he was maybe upset that he hadn't gotten an Emmy or something. And it was just thought overacting was going to help him. It's just bad so far. Yeah. I, I don't think this is the worst episode of Star Trek, in my opinion. But I think it's in the top five. How about for you? Where I know we haven't reviewed all the shows yet, but so far, kind of give us a general idea. Where is this one for you? I, I'd put this in the top three. Top three, yeah. Depending on my mood, you know, at least the alternative factor didn't have annoying children in it. So, (laughs) God, that's so true. That is so true. So, Dana, the last episode before we took our little winter holiday break, I was upset that there were no tragedies. And just to kind of remind people how that all started. You had read a story and said there was a tragedy at an air show and only five people died. And I was like, ah, oh, that's not a tragedy. At least 100 people have to die and yada, yada, yada. God, I hope you've got a tragedy for me tonight, Dana. I hope. <laughs> so what happened on this day in history, Dana? This episode aired on October 11th, then, 1968. Well, let's start off uh, musically. The uh, number one song in the U.S. was still Hey Jude by the Beatles. Okay, that's a good start. And in the UK, it was still Those Were the Days by Mary Hopkins. Also on October 11th, a successful coup d'etat happened in Panama against the sitting president. If he was standing, he probably would have survived that. (laughs) Sorry, it's a bad joke. (laughs) Dan, uh, on this date, Apollo 7, the first American crewed space mission with three astronauts, was launched from Cape Canaveral at 11.02 a.m. local time uh, and glided into Earth orbit within 10 minutes. The purpose of the 11-day mission was to test the docking maneuvers between the lunar module and the lunar orbiter to take men safely to the moon and back. Did it crash into a huge metropolitan area killing millions? No. (laughs) No. See, I knew it didn't. I was just like, God, come on. There's got to be something coming up. Well, it's not a tragedy, but uh, with this flight, Shira became the only astronaut to fly in the Mercury, Gemini, and Apollo programs. Dan, uh, you might consider this a tragedy. On October 10th, the, the Detroit Tigers won the World Series over the heavily favored St. Louis Cardinals. No, I think that's great. I hate the Cardinals. <laughs> that's not a tragedy. <laughs> and on October 12th, uh, Hugh Jackman was born. Okay. The opening... Ceremony of the uh, Summer Olympics took place in Mexico City. Although still referred to as the Summer Olympics, the games were the second in a row to be held in the autumn. Is that all? That's it. I don't have any tragedies, Dan. Oh, come on. <laughs> I'm going to have to start finding my own tragedies. <laughs> so, Dana, how about if we move on to the counts? Yes, Dan. It brings us closer to the end of this. That'd be great. <laughs> Well, there's some good things in here, Dana. How about the dead crewman count this week? Dan, we had the two that were uh, transported out into nothing. We don't have a definitive like 
answer that they're dead, but they got to be dead, right? Kirk said, I just killed two men. Oh, good, good. You're right. He did say that. The best line in the episode. So where does that leave us at? That puts us at 49, Dan. 49. That's that's awesome. That's awesome, Dana. <laughs> How about a shirtless Kirk Rib shirt Kirk count? Nope, because the children were on board. He kept his shirt on. So <laughs> That's the only reason. So we're stuck at 18. And the he's dead count? We did get one this week. So that moves us up to a 16. I'm a doctor, not a fill in the blank. Not going to be part of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't say anything like that. So uh, we are still at eight. All right. The supreme being count. You don't want to count Gorgon, do you? Well, I, I don't know. What was our definition of a supreme being? I can't even remember now. I don't know. I just hate this guy so much. <laughs> just, <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I think of a supreme being like Apollo was able to take over the ship and do all kinds of things. And Well, I, I totally agree that he is a horrible character, <laughs> you know, but it just seemed like he was kind of supreme in the sense that he had a long history. He'd been on the planet for thousands and thousands of years, apparently, right? He was able to control these kids to either participate in some way in the killing of their parents or, or at least not care. He took over the ship. He wasn't successful, but neither was Apollo, you know? Well, I'm willing to give us a one for this week, if you want. Yeah, I think we need to I think we need to count him, even though we detest him. So that brings us up to 11. All right. Violation of the prime directive. The writer violated a lot of things, but not the prime <laughs> directive. I'd like to violate the writer. <laughs> I think somebody did. Uh, <laughs> so we're still at 11. All right. Taking over of the Enterprise. Dan, that really did happen this week. Yeah. And uh, so that brings us up to 11. And then finally, who's commanding the Enterprise count? Somebody else was commanding while Kirk and Spock were on the ground. So I added one and that mm -hmm. puts us at 28. One other I'd like to advocate, Dana, when Spock and Kirk come onto the bridge, Tommy is sitting in the chair. Wow. Don't you think we got to count that? I think we do. So that brings us to what then? Be 29. Wow, that, that count goes up faster than anything else. If we were to look at like the curve over time, that one would be the fastest. Dana, this episode was tough to watch, but a freaking blast to talk about. I had a great time. <laughs> it seems like whenever we're off for a week, we get a really good episode to just get us back in the saddle, as they say. <laughs> Well, don't get any ideas of taking every other week off. So it's because uh, that's not going to help. So <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Well, I really enjoyed, uh, as always, Dana, talking about this episode with you. And I really enjoyed the comments we got this week from all our listeners. Dan, I much more enjoyed uh, talking about this episode than I did watching it. I'm looking forward to next week when we see is there, in truth, no beauty? Dan, as always, it's great to get together with you and talk about uh, Star Trek, even when it's not a great episode. So I uh, had lots of fun. Really, really appreciate all the comments we got this week from our listeners, uh, who I think of as our friends. So uh, can't tell you how much we appreciate it. And Dan, do you want to give them the uh, phone number one more time? The number is 6298. Leave a message, and if we like what we hear, you may hear yourself on the podcast. So, until we meet again, live long and prosper. Thanks once again for listening to Damn It Jim, the podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Please send us an email at dammitjimpodcast at gmail.com or join the discussion on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or X. 
You can also give the Dammit Jim hotline a call at 509-676-6298. Make sure to join Dana and Dan next week for Is There in Truth No Beauty? Enjoy the rest of your week. And until we see you again, remember to live long and prosper. This has been a Ramble Jar production.